welcome to another episode of the Digiday Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylee Barber, senior reporter with Digiday. Today on the podcast, I interviewed Nikki Oganike, the digital director of Harper's Bazaar. She started her career at the publication as an intern more than a decade ago, but has since rejoined Harper's in November. She's now working to establish the legacy magazine as a modern digital fashion authority. In the conversation, we discuss the state of the fashion industry and how that is changing consumers' and readers' behavior, as well as the engagement strategy she's taking on established platforms. We also discuss what role she sees Harper's Bazaar having on emerging platforms like Clubhouse and Twitch, and potentially a return to Pinterest. Thanks so much for being on the podcast, Nikki. Thank you for having me. So you've been at Harper's Bazaar now for, what was it, like three or four months? Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a new role for you, right? This is a new role. Yeah, but you've come from other notable fashion and, and lifestyle publications before. So you're, um, this is a, you know, a, a strong suit for you. This isn't like a, a new kind of uh, area. Um, but how was it starting like a new strategic leadership role uh, during a pandemic when, you know, the world's remote? Yeah, it's, I mean, starting a a sort of new role, I think, whether you're in leadership or, you know, just starting your job is weird when it's remote. Um, You have to think about how you're going to get to know the team, how you're going to deliver feedback, how you're going to energize the team to, you know, want to continue working during these like, quote unquote, crazy times. So it's, um, it's tricky, but I think it was really great for me to come back to a place like Harper's Bazaar, where I knew a lot of the team already. Um, and just sort of hit the ground, hit the ground running. I think what's particularly interesting about your position and um, what your colleagues are, are looking to do is uh, Harper's Bazaar is a legacy fashion brand. It's been around for decades. Um, I think I have a coffee table book of like the covers from like the early 1900s of Harper's Bazaar. It's, it's beautiful. But my point is, it's a it's an old publication. Um, your task, though, with turning that into a, you know, modern digital brand for a younger audience. Um, what all goes into that process and how have you been able to do that um, during a, you know, pandemic? Yeah, I think when we, when I came on and joined um, Leia Chernikoff and Samira Nasser, um, joined the two of them and sort of figuring out what Harper's Bazaar uh, and harpersbazaar.com was going to look like, we really wanted to go back to, um, you know, fashion first um, and really like leaning into our luxury roots, but we also have a lot of roots in the feature space. So we wanted to get back into that as well. Um, And so you see uh, a story take, for example, we just uh, put a story up today with uh, a profile of Martha Stewart. And so you see somebody like Martha Stewart, who is a legacy in and of herself, um, but we dressed her in Gucci and in Fear of God. And so we want to make those sort of like juicy internet-y profiles that people will love, but um, really just speak to what we as a brand do so well and have done so well for, you know, well over 100 years. So in that example, um, I'm assuming that there's probably a lot of like maybe social media um, elements tied in to take a uh, what would normally be, you know, maybe a spread in a magazine and make it come alive for uh, a much larger audience. Um, can you talk about, you know, the role that social media and like that platform, how that's been playing in your editorial strategy and digital strategy? Yeah, I mean, for the Martha Stewart story in particular, that story was sort of bred from following Martha herself on social media. And so she posted over the summer, I believe she posted that amazing sort of like, you know, 
beautiful photo of her coming out of a pool and like giving a kiss to the camera and we were like oh god Martha Stewart's kind of major right now like we knew we, she obviously everyone knows that but what if we like put her into uh you know a sexy little dress or we put her into this suit um and put some converse sneakers on her and so that story particularly started um it was born out of social media and then we were able to blow it out in the pages of the magazine and then have beautiful imagery to put back on social media. And so we're really just sort of trying to think 360 and trying to really not, um, it's not about uh, a print story or a digital story. It's really thinking about the brand, the brand holistically. And so when we have a profile like Martha, you know, how are we going to blow it out on all of the platforms? And going off of that, because I feel like that strategy has definitely obviously become more popular as um, social media has been growing and, and, you know, digital is such a key and core area. But I think like in normal times, you know, having a celebrity come into um, the studio and do a photo shoot, and then maybe they sit down and do like a video interview and and get content for other platforms. Um, How has that process been remote? I don't know if if Martha did come in for um, an in-person photo shoot or if you went to her um, you know, house in Connecticut or, or wherever. But I'm curious, like, how do those like multi-platform elements come into play in a remote world? You know, the shoots are, are smaller. The, um, the people who are allowed on set are smaller. You have to follow every single COVID protocol known to man to be able to do, put together something like this. But video and uh, like video is still incredibly important to us in social media, um, just elements are still incredibly important to us. So I think everyone knows that we still have to do it. And so we sort of just figure it out and work with the the subjects to do so. Um, you know, we're also still trying to figure out how we've, we have figured out um, sort of how to keep our really key franchises going. So you have something like Go to Bed With Me, which is a key video franchise that we have on YouTube, but we've had celebrities now short, sort of, or we've had celebrities now um, shoot them themselves. And so we're using this sort of like user generated content that we probably wouldn't have necessarily used or thought of using in the past because we could have sent a crew there to do it. Um, You know, we're adapting and leaning into sort of just having celebrities do it themselves and we walk them through everything. Um, And then we're, we're really finding success with that as well. Actually, the go to bed with me, that was um, a question I had for you because I've been personally watching a lot of skincare related videos um, over the pandemic and probably spending more money than I should on um, products. But um, Harper's Bazaar's Go to Bed With Me series was um, one of the shows I've been watching. Um, can you talk about, I guess, like video strategy and and how that's, you know, important that's been to your uh, digital growth during the pandemic? Um, I know a lot of people are consuming content, video content more than probably ever before. But, um, you know, is YouTube one of the platforms that you're very dedicated to right now? Yeah, YouTube has always been a platform that um, I think Hearst has always been dedicated to, but especially Harper's Bazaar um, has been dedicated to. So we have a lot of really great franchises. We have um, Go to Bed With Me is one. How I Do is another where somebody shows off like a signature sort of style that they have and how they do that. Um, And we're finding really great success, not only with the numbers that we're getting on YouTube, but we're also finding that people are shopping the products that are being featured. in the the videos as well. So, you know, we're getting sort of a, a boost in our e-com as well. E-commerce is another area that I've been pretty much talking with every publisher about at this point. I feel like 
uh, we did a survey at the beginning of the year, and I feel like 70% at least of our respondents say that they're earning some amount of money from e-commerce. So it's it not a you know small area anymore. Um, how has e-commerce kind of fit into your digital strategy? Are you like pushing more um, commerce-based content onto social posts or um, you're prioritizing that in, I guess, like the content that you're distributing? Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Shopping is always going to be key at a fashion brand, you know? And so at a, uh, at a place like Harper's Bazaar, we really do try to meet um, our, our reader wherever she is in her life. So when I got to the brand, a lot of the stories that were doing well were um, at home teeth whitening uh, kits, um, leggings for home, aprons, best ring lights. Um, those were the sort of things that people were really looking for. And of course they came to Bazaar um, because we're, we're authorities and like in the shopping space. And so we're really creating content for the reader that is, you know, useful for her now in these like actual times. But then we're also, you know, I just um, came on and I started a a franchise called What Bizarre Editors Are Shopping because we also are shopping and we're also watching all of these videos. Um, and so it's sort of just like a roundup of our favorite things that we're either coveting or actually buying for the week. Um, so that's an amazing sort of thing that we're finding in the e-commerce space. And then we're also finding that our reader... Um, she will shop and buy sort of like big ticket items. So we did, uh, our beauty director, Jenna Rosenstein, did a, a post on uh, an Opti device, which is basically this device that will um, put uh, pigmented serum on your face. And she did a before and after sort of testimonial. And the device is $600, but we sold almost $27,000 worth of product on the site. And so one would think that during these times, people aren't necessarily shopping as much, but the bizarre woman is. And so we're still creating that content for her. Yeah. So I think luxury shopping, that's still something you're seeing. Um, I was curious because, I mean, I don't really get to cover the fashion industry much at all. Um, my colleagues over at Glossy do, and I'm endlessly envious of them. But I'm curious, um, since I have you here, I'd love to kind of talk about how the industry has been impacted. And it's interesting to me that you're saying that, you know, luxury goods are still being purchased. Because um, I think I always had it in my mind that people are not shopping less, but maybe not shopping for the same things. Um, and I feel like luxury was one of those categories. But I'm curious, like, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in fashion right now? Um, and I guess, how does that reflect back to, say, your commerce um, strategy? Yeah, I think that um, our the fashion, it's no secret that the fashion industry has sort of been going through like a really tough time right now. And so the shopping is, is different, but we're finding that, um, you know, our commerce revenue has been up 121%, I want to say year over year. And, um, you know, the, our, we have, what is it? It's 96%, I want to say up year over year for the items that are being sold through bizarre.com. And so our woman is still shopping. And so keeping that in mind, we want to give her um, a, a mix of items, really. And so if you think about it, everyone's gone through their closet clean out at the beginning of the year, they Marie Con they condo married their whole closet, got rid of everything and sort of, you know, we want to give our woman the, the things 
to like fill her closet back up with at this point. And so that may be just like the one amazing sweater that you need or the one pair of, you know, sweatpants or jeans, the pair of jeans that's going to make you want to wear jeans again, that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, so we're not, we're not, we're not giving up on shopping really. And our reader isn't either. I mean, for me, I've been spending on like loungewear, like nice loungewear, set loungewear sets. Is that a big category that maybe has kind of like shown up at all? It's a, or is, it's a are, lot are, of I leggings. Mean, it's a lot of like sweats, um, that sort of thing. Um, a lot of athletic wear. Um, but I think that's probably the case around or for, for many brands. Um, but I do, I do believe that I was telling my friend this the other day that like, at some point we're going to be able to leave our house again, really. And like, we're going to need stuff to wear. (laughs) And so I do think that like, we will get back to not shopping as, as normal, but shopping and just, you know, our, our new, our new normal. So, I mean, you talked a little bit about um, shoppable video or, you know, using video to sell products. Um, I'm curious, like, are you thinking about how that kind of business could uh, – the shoppable video, I feel like, is a very, like, you know, top-of-mind topic right now that I, I hear a lot about. Like, how are you thinking about um, the video element as – uh, an important way to sell products and like, because there's, I think, live streamed video, um, the modern QVCs like network and um, I don't know, how does video kind of factor into uh, commerce strategy? That's an Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question. I think it sort of just goes back to what I was saying about doubling down on um, YouTube and then creating uh, stories on the site that this that support our YouTube videos and really um, putting in all, like if say Meg the Stallion used 25 products in her video, then putting in all 25 of those items in a story on the website. So the reader could find it there. Um, and just making sure that our woman sort of is able to find the products when she needs to. Are you considering at all doing like the, I don't know, live stream kind of product selling platforms or like partnering with, I don't know, like I mentioned network, like, is that anything that you're kind of thinking about or is that appealing at all? It's not at the moment, but I think you've given me something to think about um, because (laughs) I do wonder if there's a way to, I think a lot of times people look at, you know, like a QVC and they sort of shy away from it, but I do wonder if there's a way to to do it in a like luxurious sort of way that um, that aligns with the brand. Yeah, I feel like luxury goods or, or having a moment around selling luxury is is something that's been kind of coming up more, and so I'm curious if that's going to be like a, a growing area. Um, also, like on the video side of things, you mentioned that um, you're having celebrities kind of film themselves, and um, I'm sure that lightens the load quite a bit and probably cuts a step out of the mix. Is that a strategy that you're going to continue doing post pandemic or I don't know, is, are you eventually going to be sending crews back into celebrities homes to film their skincare routines? I think it's really too early to tell honestly at this point. Um, but I am always down for trying something new. And so if we have a celebrity in a far flung location that we can't get to, but we still want to work with them, I'm down, I'm 100% down to have them, um, 
give us sort of UGC user-generated content because you wouldn't want to miss out on that opportunity. And I guess in general, has it been easier to work with celebrities during the pandemic? Um, you know, with for a while, production was down, so I'm sure actors had more time on their hands. But has it been easier to, I don't know, book people to create content for you? Well, it's been really crazy, right? So I've been at this job for three months, but for the basically like year before I was at, um, I was at GQ and I was working on the print side. And so I've seen a real evolution in working with, um, with celebrity on both print and digital sides. Um, and I will say that I think that celebs now are sort of just being more thoughtful about their, um, their, I guess, press opportunities, but they're being like a little less precious about it as well, if that makes sense. So they will shoot, um, they will, you know, have their assistant do a shoot for them and, or they'll do a zoom shoot and it'll be fine. Um, I think right now everyone's just trying to, to roll with the punches and sort of adapt to what the current situation is. And then we'll revisit it as like, the governor literally open up the, the cities. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. I wanted to talk about like traffic and audience too, and, and kind of what you've been seeing um, across the platforms that you operate on. Obviously you mentioned video has been a really strong area. Um, has social media, is that like the, I don't know, largest area for engagement for Harper's Bazaar or where do you, I guess, like, really engage with audiences right now? Um, I th- we engage with them on a few fronts. So social media, of course, is big. Twitter and um, Twitter and Instagram are two of our like big sort of platforms when it comes to that. Um, but we also have like an incredibly sort of diligent and robust SEO um, strategy. And so a lot of our, our traffic comes from women searching for things like home teeth whitening kits and and that sort of thing. Um, But then I'm also thinking about how we should use other emerging platforms. So should we be on Twitch? Should we be on Clubhouse? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that just yet, but I'm really willing to try and maybe develop a new audience there. Um, And so, yeah, I think now is this weird sort of like wild, wild west time where anyone is we have like the things that are we know are working for us, but we should really be forward thinking and trying new things as well. Yeah, I've been asking several publishers about like Clubhouse in particular, and I feel like reporters might be using it for uh, sourcing maybe or, you know, covert story generations. But um, I've been curious if brands have been like publishers have been taking to the platform yet to, I don't know, host or even sell their spaces like I don't know if they open a room and like are trying to get sponsors on um but that's so it is a platform that you're thinking about at this point but not like currently activating on not activating on it just yet um but I am definitely thinking about it because I use it in my own personal life and I see that like having watch parties with friends is fun talking about stories is fun and so Mm -hmm. maybe that's somewhere we can we can another touch point basically for our reader I guess like going off of social, have you been like, I guess, where does Pinterest sit in your uh, social strategy at all? Is that a platform that you like really do much on? Because I've been seeing a couple, um, a couple publishers hiring for 
roles that specifically work with Pinterest um, lately. And I think the theory is that, that I have um, and that my colleagues who we've been talking about it have is that as Pinterest becomes more of a commerce center, um, their publishers are kind of looking at it as a more you know, significant part of their digital strategy. How are you thinking about Pinterest? Is that um, a platform that's top of mind at all? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Pinterest because I'm finding myself back on it now that I'm thinking of just like personally thinking about, you know, home decor or recipes or that sort of thing. And so it makes me think that our reader is probably revisiting that area as well. And so I have been thinking about it sort of in the past few weeks. Um, But we haven't quite dipped our toe into it yet, because I think we sort of need to figure out you know, we ha- we're we nailing down and um, really thinking about like who the bar- who the new bizarre woman is and what her voice is mm-hmm. and where to find her. And we're not sure yet if Pinterest is one of those places. It definitely could be, um, but um, we're, we're not exactly sure yet. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I think it's an area that a lot of publishers are starting to like revisit, right? Like, I don't know, when I was... Um, in high school, Pinterest first came out and I had all my boards. I knew exactly what my future house would look like and, uh, what my wedding would look like. And, you know, spoiler alert, I haven't revisited that board yet, but, um, you know, that was a huge platform and not to say it ever kind of like died down, but I feel like it was, um, almost in the background for a little while. And to your point, like looking up recipes and just everything like that. I feel like it's starting to come back. And now the capabilities around e-commerce are starting to show up there as well. Do you get a lot of your e-commerce kind of transactions through uh, like traffic coming through social media? Like Instagram right now is, um, I feel like it's almost like a virtual mall in a way. Like, do you get a lot of commerce action coming through uh, social media platforms or is that more of an SEO kind of traffic driver? It's more of an SEO traffic driver for us. Our woman is really um, searching and we work with like our sort of SEO manager and our e-commerce manager to make sure that we have a really tight um a really tight strategy around it um, just to make sure that we can sort of like capitalize on both. Mm-hmm. Got it. Are you trying to grow the the commerce activity on like social media at all? Or is that more of like a way to get people to go back to like the site? It's a, for me, it's a way to get people to go back to the site. I think that um, our Instagram is sort of like our, our newsstand um, and so, or, mm-hmm. or like a, a portfolio of our work really. And so I think that people, you know, Instagram first and foremost was a, a place of discovery and that's sort of how we're using it now. Um, and making sure that we just have like amazing imagery up and great captions and engaging captions to get people to want to go back to the site. What are you finding? Are you finding that people are using it a lot for, I guess, e-com? I think in brands are using it a lot for e-commerce. Um, I am, I guess, curious about the way that publishers can tie it in because the linking to products is difficult if you're not the brand itself, right? So, like, I don't think publishers yet can do a shoppable post. Um, you have to, like, you know, link in bio type of activity. But um, it's. I think it's interesting going back to, like, the live video side of things is, like, Instagram Live has been a, a pretty popular platform um, the past year or so. And I feel like that's a good way to feature products, too. So I'm wondering, maybe, I mean, the platform might just have to kind of 
accelerate its shopping even more so than what it has already done. But I'm wondering if maybe that's a, a way to tie in the e-commerce side for publishers. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I know that, I mean, personally, I shop through Instagram quite a bit, but I'm curious how publishers are able to tap into that area. Yeah, it's definitely so. something to think about for sure. I'm also wondering how, I know you're digital focused, um, but you have talked about print a little bit and, um, you know, the spread with Martha Stewart. I'm sure you have tons of knowledge about that area as well. I'm curious, how has print been um, doing for Harper's Bazaar? Is Because I feel like, uh, I, I don't know if newsstand was at all, uh, you know, a key part of your print strategy or is, but... Um, like how have subscriptions been doing this past? Well, I mean, I know you've only been here like four months. But, yeah, you know. I was like, I can't, I can't exactly speak to um, subscription or anything of that sort, uh, just because it is. I I have like more of the anecdotal sort of storytelling side of things. I don't know a ton about the numbers. Um, it does seem to be still a very important part of the like edit strategy, though, right? Like, is that the core of when you're creating a story idea like it, the Martha Stewart example you said like that one is a print spread that you ended up pulling from to put on social media like it's still like a very core part of the strategy overall right um print or a newsstand print yeah of course yeah definitely um I think that I think when brands get in trouble I think when publishers get in trouble is when they really try to to like break these things into individual sort of piecemeal nuggets instead of really thinking about the brand holistically. So like print is always going to be important. It'll continue to be important, but there are a lot of other ways that we can get revenue. And so that's through digital, that's through video, that's through, um, you know, at, at one point it was going to be through live events, but like, who knows when that's going to happen <laughs> anymore. And so I think that um, it's always in our best interest to really um, to do our best across all platforms. Where are some of your other kind of priorities for 2021? Like what platforms or um, content types, um, you know, what are you thinking about? I, even, I don't know, audio podcasting, because that's what we're doing right now. But I'm curious, like, where are some of your other um, priorities? Yeah, I think that, you know, we are in such a sort of... Um, it's such a new time for Bazaar that it's it's hard. Like everything is a priority, basically, I think. But first and foremost, our number one priority is just getting readers in who may have thought that they were not the Bazaar reader in the past and really mm -hmm. thinking about what representation looks like on the in the magazine, on the website, on our social media platforms, um, and just really upping just the kind of people that we feature, the stories that we tell to really just attract a, a new audience. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Like, I'm curious, like trying to expand an audience. Um, I mean, you could do that with digital footprints are often bigger than print footprints, but I'm curious, like including the representation in the magazine and online, like how else are you trying to really expand your audience and reach those people who still might not think that they are uh, a Harper's Bazaar reader. Like that's not a brand that they've, you know, been familiar with or thought about much. It always comes down to the storytelling for me. And I think that that's something that a lot of people really fail to forget or they, they fail to remember. Um, 
you know, it, at one point it was a, just a grab and, and just clicks and just putting up anything on the internet and sort of like polluting it really, um, to get viewers. But I've never, I've never been one that, that never like sat right with my spirit, really. I've always sort of thought that if you tell good stories, if you tell different types of stories, those stories will spread and continue. It's the natural sort of like, that's how things go viral. It really just comes down to good Mm -hmm. storytelling. Whether you're storytelling Mm -hmm. on TikTok or you're storytelling on Instagram or you're storytelling in print or on digital, it really just comes down to how you tell the story. We didn't talk about TikTok yet, but I'm curious. Fascinating. What are you doing on TikTok? Fascinating. Yeah, like how that is. I, so that actually, that actually answer that is one um, platform that I really want to figure out because I think that on the surface people would be like, oh, Bazaar is not like a TikTok brand, right? But there has to be a way that we can crack into it, and whether it is through giving um, advice or you know, participating in a viral challenge, but in a bizarre way, I do think that we can have, um, we can, we can figure out how to be there. Yeah. And I think like, cause you mentioned, um, storytelling being a, you know, a key focus of the way that you think about expanding audiences, like storytelling on TikTok. I mean, you're limited to 60 seconds, right? Like, unless you do, um, you know, part one, part two, part three series, but like, I guess, do you, what have you been doing so far on the platform to, I don't know, tie in stories that you have on in the magazine or on um, the website? Like, is that how you're kind of thinking about it right now? Or is that something that you're hoping to do more is like connect the, the platforms with TikTok? I think that TikTok is the one platform where you you have to make content specifically for the platform. And so... Yes, we we will try and figure out how to like take what's in print or what's in, um, you know, what's on the site and sort of like cut that. And we have a little bit and try and cut that for TikTok. But really, um, in my like dream scenario, I would find a, a you know, a 17 year old creator and have them come work for me and like make exclusive <laughs> bizarre TikToks um, because I do think that that's a, a, a platform that is. Uh, is really budding and it's it's just fun and really just like I don't know it's just kind of like a great place to lose yourself really yeah I personally have lost myself several hours <laughs> on the on the app recently but yeah I mean I think it's it's such a like I want to say it's like vine but in a way it's it's nothing like vine because it's I feel like so much more creative than um, any other social media platform has really been um I don't know it's it, it's unique to see like what publishers do on it and if it's just you know using the viral sounds or the viral uh audio clips just for the sake of doing it and who's able to do it well I think the strategy of maybe hiring a 17 year old to take over that would, would be a good move but yeah uh, like yeah. we're I mean you know we're not I I will probably not be doing a, a a dance challenge, but I do think that you know the um the challenge that's going around right now, where people are sitting uh are saying what they would wear if they sat front row at a fashion show, is something mm-hmm. that like we could easily participate in. Yeah, for sure. I do think that that trend's funny, like seeing a bunch of like Shein type <laughs> Just of like outfits, clapping, and, like, <laughs> nodding, with the little glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
I love it. Um, yeah, and I know you mentioned that events was going to be a, a strategy for Harper's Bazaar, and um, obviously all events are still ceased. But unless you're in Australia, they've been able to kind of take off events um, pretty well. But um, have you done anything in the way of like virtual events, or is that something that uh, your team has been thinking about at all to, I don't know, engage readers that way or viewers, I guess. Yeah. I mean, we really did. Um, we did a bunch of Insta before I arrived, the team was doing a lot of Instagram lives. As you mentioned, that's a place where a lot of publishers were showing up over the summer. And then we did, um, some Instagram lives with, uh, designers over New York fashion week, because we thought, you know, it's still really fashion week is in such influx right now, but it's still really important to show up for these designers when we can. And so we had, um, you know, a live with uh, the guys from Proenza and we had a live with Philip Lim and the Philip Lim one was really engaging because he he talked not only about fashion, but he also talked about the uptick in um, hate against the Asian community during this time. Mm -hmm. And so we um, were using Instagram live primarily. um, But that doesn't mean that we're not going to think about, you know, Zoom or in the future, other sort of like socially distanced um, events. I'm also curious, have any designers been doing like live fashion shows or has it all been, I don't know, like, I feel like I've seen a few uh, maybe months ago, I think I saw Kristen Stewart's as the only audience member for one That's fashion Chanel. show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm curious, like, has that at all returned or have designers been really creative in the way that they've been um, showing their, their lines? It's been a mix. Um, and I think that that is what has been really sort of interesting for me to watch, having worked in this industry now for uh, over 10 years, fashion, this, this past year, 2020 and into 21 has been the most sort of, um, I've seen designers just doing what really works for them. So you have somebody like, a uh, Jonathan Anderson who oversees JW Anderson and also, um, Loewe, he did sort of like shows in a box, but like a literal box basically. Um, and you took out like the pieces um, and sort of had like a paper doll experience with um, the different pieces from his collection. But then you have somebody uh, like, yeah, somebody like Jason Wu who had a, a live small socially distanced show. He teamed up with Coca-Cola to have a little bit of, or part of it sort of um, sponsored and, was able to show um, at Spring Studio. And so I think designers are sort of really doing what works for them. I I don't know. It's so interesting how so many different industries have been able to like adapt. And I feel like, I don't know, I I guess I'm curious like how the adaption that the industry has taken, I feel like it's been so intense the way that everything has changed. Like how have your readers also, like have your readers also then adapted to like the way that they're engaging with the topic of fashion or the way that they're reading about it and what they want to be reading about it? Like has content subsequently changed because like the things that fashion designers are doing have changed so drastically? Mm, I wouldn't say the content has changed based on what the fashion designers have been doing, but I think it's more so based on the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so they may not necessarily be, um, 
buying the $10,000 watch, but they may be buying 10 pairs of sweatpants. And so that's sort of like how the how the, the content is changing. Nikki, thank you so much for being on and chatting about, again, a topic that I wish I could talk more about, but I don't get to cover as much. This has been really interesting. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode.